I'm with uh, Laura Steckler, who is a psychologist, Rubenfeld trained, and a specialist in um, uh, chronic pain. She's also a dancer. Hi, Laura. Hi, Serge. So thanks for uh, talking to us today. And you, uh, you work a lot uh, in the field of chronic pain now in England? In, in Scotland, yeah. In Scotland. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what you um, are willing to do today is actually to talk about it within the context of your own experience with back pain. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you want to maybe um, say how this happened, how you experienced it, what happened mm -hmm. to you? Sure, yeah. Um, well, it, this was a long time ago. I, I was in my, I guess in my late 20s, and I started having very sharp pain um, in my hip and um, didn't know what it was and I thought there was something wrong with my hip and it turned out to be what's called sciatic pain um, which is uh, referred pain basically from the spine and um, they sent me for some x-rays and I was shocked actually that I had all these things wrong with my spine um, and uh, yeah, that's how it started, and um, I was told I had um, some congenital defects in my spine. I had um, something that's called spondylolysis, which is uh, sort of like, it's like the vertebrae is fractured, but um, you're probably born that way, and it creates um, excessive movement in the spinal column and so it wears away at the disc above it and uh, creates a lot of inflammation of the nerve the, the sciatic nerve which is a very long nerve that goes gets through the it goes from your back down so down your leg into your foot mm -hmm. so um, the context is that uh, uh, you're a dancer yeah. you're doing a lot of things with your body moving yeah. you're experiencing pain and as you're experiencing pain uh, and you see doctors uh, there is an addition that dimension of fear of maybe there's something terribly wrong with you yeah and they kind of promoted that fear I think because maybe they thought I wouldn't comply uh, with them and so they would say things that one guy said to me um, don't ever arch your back he said don't ever lie on your stomach and don't ever arch your back and and I tried to explain to him that when in dance when we arch our backs we really do it very carefully and you know we don't um, you know, we lift in our abdominal muscles and we we extend the spine and everything. He said, look, just don't arch your back. Just don't do it, you know. And so for years I was afraid to arch my back. And, and, and um, he said, if you don't comply with what I tell you, I'm going to put you in the hospital in traction. So in a way that was the beginning of a lot of fear avoidance. Uh, and yeah. it is very scary. It is very scary when you get this pain, and it's and it's really strange. And it's and, and as it, when it got really bad, it would go down into my foot, and my foot would get really numb. And um, 
it was extremely painful and I could hardly walk and uh, it is very scary. So what you're talking about is that um, in addition to the pain itself, you have something that f fear avoidance. Yeah. Where something else comes up in addition to, uh, to what you had before. Yeah, well, I mean, the guy, he also told me that my uh, vertebrae could slip and, uh, and I could become paralyzed. So, um, of course, I was terrified of that, and I thought, well, if I, I can't arch my back and I can't lay in my stomach, and, and, or I'm going to become paralyzed. So it's, it's this kind of, you start to, to limit your, your range of motion. So, in other words, um, what is happening is that uh, um, in addition to the pain itself, the process of finding a cure through um, the medical world as it was uh, actually made things worse by creating this intense pressure and fear. Yeah, I think so. I think it really did, yeah. Yeah. I think so. So... Um, what happened? What did you do to uh, to deal with the pain? Well, um, I, I did a lot of different things, actually. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what I did first, but over the years I tried a lot of things. I uh, did a lot of Alexander Technique work and a lot of Feldenkrais work, which... Um, I did a lot of during my training with Alana Rubenfeld, and that was really helpful. Um, I think uh, I might have mentioned earlier that I spent a lot of time lying on the ground, just trying to release uh, the muscles, and I worked a lot on my body alignment. So as a dancer, you're, you're aware that you're, you know, the way you hold yourself, your posture and things is really important. Um, and I knew that there would be certain ways that I might hold my pelvis that might exacerbate the problem and other ways that might make it better. But I did tend to overdo it a bit, so I would... In an avoidance of trying to, I mean, trying to avoid arching my back, I think I may have actually developed, um, you know, I may have actually got, brought my pelvis a little bit too far forward. So, you know, over the years I was trying to find the right place for my pelvis, right alignment for my pelvis. So I want to uh, to say what I'm hearing is that uh, uh, as somebody who was trained as a dancer, mm -hmm. you had uh, probably more awareness of your body than many people. Mm -hmm. uh, as you were experiencing pain, you um, tried a lot of different things, looked for help in different areas, mm -hmm. um, and including tried different ways to um, to change the alignment. Yeah. That you had. Yeah. Um, but what I'm hearing also is that while you were doing that, there's a sense of you uh, going through this process uh, fairly alone. There was no guiding. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I did feel quite alone, although, um, uh, yeah, I mean, well, I think I did feel quite alone throughout a lot of, of the, the, the time, and, and it was a scary time, and a lot of my friends were dancers, and I think uh, a lot of them didn't know what to make of it. They, they didn't really understand what was going on, and um, 
you know, I, I became quite depressed actually for a period of time when I had to stop dancing because uh, I was just, I just couldn't do it. I was just in too much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find um, after a number of years actually um, uh, a doctor and a physiotherapist, a, you call them physical therapists over there, um, that helped me. I knew that strength was going to be important, and um, although I had tried, I think I had tried one round of, of physiotherapy that wasn't particularly helpful, but then the second time I found this, another physio who was really helpful, and I developed a huge amount of strength in my core muscles. And I've maintained that, and that has been one of the most helpful things that uh, that I found, because mm-hmm. I really need that stability, mm-hmm. and it's allowed me to do so much more. So, so um, uh, one uh, very positive approach you had to uh, to deal with it was developed strength where it was yeah. helpful. Yeah, certain in, in, in certain ways. You know what I mean? Like, as I said, there was, and I can't remember exactly what the first physio had done, but the second time around it was really helpful. Although it does take a long time, and I have to say that it requires a big commitment. And I think one of the things, just as an aside, I think a lot of times people want a quick fix. They want to be cured, and they don't believe that they can... Um, do these things for themselves and they also don't want to have to cut back and stop what they're doing and start over in a way because that's what I had to do it's almost like learning how to walk again you know so I get the sense as you're talking about it that um, uh, what your experience of it has been is uh, renegotiating your relationship with your body that's right I think that's a very good way of putting it mm-hmm so what are the ways in which um, you have uh, learned to use your bodies in new ways? Um, well, in addition to just doing, getting, doing a lot of um, core strength, mm-hmm. which changes your body alignment anyway when you do that, when you really get a lot of core strength, um, doing a lot of Feldenkrais work where you're, doing very tiny movements and finding the easiest pathway for that movement to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of retrains your body and it makes you really listen into your body. I, I remember doing a, you know what is very common among body psychotherapists is to do a body scan. Mm-hmm. And I became aware that I had very little sensation, very little sensory awareness in my lower back. Uh, and then, when I, and I, a lot of, anytime I would try to move that area, or even if anybody were to touch me there, I had a lot of fear. Wow. Yeah, a lot of fear. I couldn't even get a massage. I mean, I was just too afraid. So, um, Eventually, I, now I now I'm very much into getting a massage. But um, I think I had to first just allow myself to sense that area mm-hmm. and sense it in stillness, and also sense it in movement, and do it in very tiny ways, very tiny ways. 
Uh, and that's partly how I how I um, integrated that part of my body into into the rest of my body. And yeah, yeah, um, and that's I think when I was doing that kind of thing, I, that was in the midst of my training with Alana. And I uh, do remember some emotional stuff coming up around that as I listened in and in Rubenfeld work you you do a lot of dialoguing with your body and that was quite helpful as well mm-hmm. to really hear what that part of my body had to say to me yeah um, so are you comfortable sharing some of what um, uh, that part of your body had to say emotionally to you um, yeah I'm one of the, I remember one session I had during my training when I was listening to my body and what it was saying to me was I'm sensitive. And I really see the body as like a hologram. And when we go really deeply inside ourselves, I think we can connect to these kind of, it's almost like a, a holographic uh, pattern that, that you can connect in and it's got an emotional meaning, it's got a literal physiological meaning and my, uh, my sciatic nerve is, is, was, particularly was, very sensitive and um, I needed to find quite a delicate balance in order to not irritate that nerve. But also, I think like most of us who go into healing, the healing arts, we are sensitive people. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there's a lot of stuff, I think, about that for me, which I won't go into in a lot of detail about it. Some of it connected to my relationship with my mother and what was going on even during, probably during her pregnancy with me. Mm-hmm. So... There, there were a lot of ramifications and permutations of that. Very simple, seemingly very simple, very tiny phrase. I'm sensitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also had to, as I'm remembering that session, I had to get past in doing that kind of dialogue. I think in order to really have that be effective, you've got to really literally be listening to what the body says and not what you think it ought to be saying and I think it's very easy for us to say what we think the body is saying do you know what I mean yeah yeah that you really listen to what the body says as opposed to and, what yeah, you yeah without it it, expecting it to say something mm-hmm. so I think I had a lot of expectations about what it should be saying but listening to it on a really deep sensory level mm-hmm. is how I got to that. So um, that really that that uh, that safety that uh, space that was made for you to listen to it at a very very deep level. Yeah, yeah. And to uh, discover this apparently very simple thing, but very deep, very profound that I'm sensitive. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. And um, and starting with that the sciatic nerve and the lower back were really very, very sensitive areas. So, yep. so sensitive that you couldn't even really uh, tolerate a massage in that area. No, yeah, I didn't feel safe enough to have anybody even touch me. 
So, yep. And I think one of the things that happens when you have a lot of pain and you develop a lot of fear is that you disconnect from the area. And mm-hmm. I had done that. I had disconnected from that area. Yeah. So, you know, reconnecting with it was, was very important. So what you're talking about is that sense that what we, uh, you know, often describe as pain, and we just pain, just physical, you know, how deeply it's connected with uh, emotional things and uh, how much fear and safety are part of the experience of pain. Fear and safety are part of the experience of pain. Fear, fear or lack of safety. Or lack of safety, yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, fear is, is part of the experience of pain, just, it is just intrinsically interwoven in it. Uh, partly because, um, the, the, the neural pathways are the same. And of course, we need pain to be scary because normally it's a warning signal, and so, um, if we didn't, if we don't have that, we're we're in deep shit. We're in a lot of trouble because people who don't have the ability to feel pain can really injure themselves. Um, so it, it is part and parcel of the whole experience of pain. Yeah. So that uh, you know that the the same circuits, the same pathways are used to transmit pain and emotion. Yes. And particularly um, anxiety, fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's something in which, at that level, the uh, mechanism is faulty or is not calibrated. Well, it can become that way. I think when you, when you're talking about an acute pain situation, then it's 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 uh, healthy and uh, very important to feel that fear. But when you've got a chronic pain situation, then it becomes dysregulated and the affect is no longer so useful. No longer so useful. And uh, as it gets worse, there are changes that happen in the nervous system that make uh, the pain threshold lower to so feeling pain more readily. And then the, it, it, this actually happens in the spinal cord. The spinal cord actually boosts the signal to the brain and says, there's more, look out, watch out. So um, they call that wind-up. So it's, uh, in a chronic pain situation, then there is this lack of calibration. Well, I don't know if I would use calibration, but maybe uh, it's like a... a Sometimes I think about it as like a car alarm that's set very delicately and very low. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that all you have to do is stick your head near the window and it's going to set the alarm off. Okay, so that uh, threshold is very low. Yes, yes. So does it mean that in the case of chronic pain, um, in a way there, it's the signal that is defective and the reason for the pain is less? Or is it a question of getting accustomed to that level of pain? What is... Um, well, what it's both probably. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mean in terms of, of helping, what helps it? Yeah, I'm just using the, you know, seeing the analogy of the, the threshold set very low. Yeah, you can raise your pain threshold. Mm-hmm. You can train your nervous, you can, you know, we have a plastic nervous system. We can retrain our, our nervous systems um, to, to, 
to not be so, um, so that, that that alarm doesn't go off so quite so easily and doesn't boot, the signals don't get boosted so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it does help to remind ourselves that when we're feeling pain, that actually it's not harmful to us. And uh, that is something that doesn't just happen cognitively. No, it doesn't just happen cognitively. It actually happens um, psychophysiologically. It happens in the in the nervous system, in the parts of the brain that are registering pain. It's happening in the spinal cord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you were talking when you were describing the, your experience is that slow pacing, that very, very, uh, that seems to have been a very important part of the process. Yeah, I had to gradually build up things, and you do have to have a lot of patience to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to just walk for five minutes, you know, just walk for five minutes and stop, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Um, now I can walk indefinitely, but it took a long time. And I couldn't, I didn't used to be able to walk on uneven surfaces for a long time, and now I can do that. But, yeah, now I'm dancing again. Wow. Um, I can bend forward again. But, again, it's all you have to do it gradually, and um, you really need a commitment mm-hmm. to your body and to whatever it is that you're wanting to work towards. Do you still uh, consider yourself somebody who is prone to back pain and has to constantly work at it, or is this something that's a thing of the past? Um, I consider myself someone who uh, does have to work at it, yeah, I do, but working at it, it doesn't bother me to do that. I mean, I really, now I, I know that if I don't do certain kind of exercise, I will have pain, and I still do get pain, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get in my way so much, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I can do just about touch wood because I feel very fortunate, and I think that one of the things about this is it's helped me really appreciate um, the ability to move and, and to walk and to run and, and things that I couldn't do for a long time, and, mm-hmm. uh, but I do have to keep these things up. Because I know I'm prone, because I know I have this thing. Now, I know some people who have back problems may not have the kind of uh, thing that I have, which is a congenital defect in my spine, and I've got you know virtually no disc between L4 and L5. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, we all have a little bit of degeneration as we get older, but uh, and and a lot of people who have back pain will just have a little bit of degeneration, and they won't have as uh, as many sort of um, actual problems with their spine as I do. Uh, so they may not have to work as much as I do mm-hmm. if I had to, but um, uh, still I think it is when you've got when you've had a back problem you do, it is a big commitment. Yeah. Um, um. I, I felt like I went I segued off there somewhere. So that I don't know what I did. <laughs> no, anyway. I was uh, I was asking you um, if you still consider somebody who's prone to uh, yeah, to yeah, yeah. Well, I am prone because I've got that problem, so mm-hmm. I, I do have to. But but what's happened over the years is that my flare-ups, you know, times when I'm really bad, are are, are much less frequent, mm-hmm. and they don't scare me so much. 
general. I'm not so frightened by them. So, so part of the, uh, you know, the, the process is, of course, what you've done and, uh, you know, renegotiating your relationship with your body, but also um, changing your expectation of yeah. what it was. And, That's uh, right. And a big part of it seems to also have um, uh, been able to get a handle on the fear that was associated with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you, you, get, you, you come to realize that when it, when it gets bad, it's not going to last forever, and I think that does help you overcome that fear mm-hmm. as well, um, because I think the fear is that it's, this is just going to be like this forever, and, and um, then I'll, I won't be able to walk or whatever. So in contrast, this is something that you know you can do something about, so you're not just helpless in the face of it. That's right, that's right. But I think there's also an emotional um, centering that's happened for me that um, I, it's hard to, to explain, but maybe it's a, a not panicking about, not realizing that you don't that I don't have to panic about uh, which is sli- it's slightly different there's something about that that's slightly different I think there it's, it's just a little bit of a a grounding and a centering that's happened for me that you can feel the pain but not have to panic about its existence yeah 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 So I want to ask you, as you um, you have experienced this both as you know being right in the middle of the experience, and also as somebody who has um, the, uh, a grounding in psychology and in uh, body psychotherapy, um, what has your experience of the pain and of being a patient uh, brought to your practice? as a therapist dealing with pain and back pain? Yeah. Well, um, people who, uh, the, the people who I see at the pain clinic are really appreciative of the fact that I've been through what they've been through. You know, they know that I'm not just talking out of theory but that from my own experience. And um, I know their frustration and I know, um, you know, the, the fear that they, that they go through. So I think that helps me be able to have some credibility for one and I and I believe in what I'm telling them when I say look you can change your nervous system and you can change your body and and so that I you know I have confidence when I say that to them I also really enjoy helping people develop a, a relationship with their bodies um, Maybe partly because it's been so helpful to me, and um, and uh, well, yeah, I te- we 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 have a pro- we have a group program where we work with people who've got chronic pain, and just teaching them an easier way to to roll over or to get out of a chair without straining themselves, and just you know encouraging them to listen to their bodies is. It's very rewarding. I find it really rewarding. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, as um, you know, to, to uh, you know, maybe widen the scope a little bit, mm-hmm. what would you say about your perceptions of the relationships between mind and body? Mm. 
Well, I think they are one and the same. And um, a lot of times what I find in working with people who have pain is that uh, they will have had some undisclosed kind of trauma or something that they've never really talked about mm-hmm. or not really explored in any depth. And uh, when they've been able to do that, I, I, they seem to be able to then... Um, it's not that their pain just automatically goes away, but I think it becomes much more tolerable and much more manageable. And then they're able to put some of these other kinds of things into practice. A lot of the, a lot of what is helpful are things like not only just um, reconnecting with the body, but also um, doing a lot of deep relaxation and, and meditation and things that can help uh, release um, endorphins into the system and help calm the nervous system down. And when they're when the nervous system is on high alert because of trauma, because of, you know, a lot of stress and stuff like that, it's also very difficult to to cope with pain and to put into practice the kind of things that will help mm-hmm. along with pain. So, so what I'm hearing is that um, uh, it's not a question of finding a simplistic relationship in saying the body influences the mind or the mind influences the body, mm-hmm. but the pain is a symptom uh, and it invites you to um, uh, pay attention to those painful or dissociated areas in the body and at the same time the emotional areas that are more difficult to deal with. Yes, um, emotional things that are also maybe uh, dissociated in some way mm-hmm. uh, or disconnected or have been sort of shoved down for many years, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of one of these both-and situations where body influences mind, mind influences body, but it's almost like maybe it's got a, some kind of spirillic relationship or, you know, a circular relationship, but it's not, definitely not linear. I don't think it's linear. Well, Laura, that was really, uh, really very uh, inspiring to talk to you. Oh, thank you. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.